Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Multispeed Technologies, the Ask Noah show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1-855-450-NOAH. It's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalaya. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you this hour as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off. James starts us off this hour in Pennsylvania. Hey, James, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, Noah. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Thanks for calling in. How can we help? Um, I recently installed Kubuntu on um, an older laptop that I have here, and for some reason, I'm unable to to open um, either audio or video files that are on a remote Samba share. I have them on a uh, Synology NAS, and um, just from some research I've done here in my own experience, it sounds like it might be um, related to Dolphin. So I had installed Nautilus and did that, you know, just as a test, and I was able to open those files. Um, but I had noticed this before when I installed Kubuntu in a, in a uh, virtual machine that it did the same thing. And I knew you've become a big uh, uh, KDE Plasma fan, so I just thought, well, it's worth a shot, see if, uh, see if anybody has experienced this. Or, I mean, I could always use an alternate file manager, but I, I really do like Dolphin. Sure. Um, so I, I would just, uh, because like you say, I have uh, come onto on a bunch of boxes here. I've got it in the laptop in front of me here, and I'm just looking. Is this a, uh, is it a Samba share? It is. What I'm using is a, it's on a Synology. It is a Samba share. Okay. Um, the reason I ask, or the reason I guess I was a bit confused is because uh, I have Dolphin on here and uh, just mounted a Samba share. It mounted right up for me. So I'm not sure what exactly is going on. Now, when you're actually going through the connection, are you going uh, over on the left-hand side of, of Dolphin and clicking on network and then browsing for that share, or are you clicking on add network folder and then manually specifying the details? Um, I've, I've gone both. So I have, I have the Synology mapped over there, or if I just, um, you know, just manually enter the location, um, the, it seems like the, the I think the Samba share is fine. Like I can open every other kind of file, whether it's a document, a picture. It's just audio and video files that if I try and open, and I've tried multiple players. I've tried SM Player, VLC. Um, I think there's a few others I've tried as well. It's just those specific audio and video files that it doesn't want to open. Mm. I see. Um, I, you know, I'm sorry, James, I can't think of a reason of why that wouldn't work. I was just looking through here on, on the Samba share that's in front of my face and, uh, I've got wave files. They open up. I've got MP4s. Those seem to open up. Um, you know, the only, th I, I, I really can't think of a specific reason of, of why that would be happening. It, it, have you, and, and I'm assuming you've tried either from a, a Windows machine or, or uh, you know, an Ubuntu proper machine, but some other machine you've tried to uh, open this up and, and take a look? Yeah, I've got, um, I've tried that under uh, a Linux Mint laptop I have here, and it, it opens fine there. 
okay, so it's not a problem with the file. We can we can note that it's not a problem with the file server. We can know it's not a problem with a permissions issue, anything like that, because it's you know it's working on another machine. So it probably is specific to to that Kubuntu machine. And you said that you've installed this in a VM and you've replicated the exact scenario and gotten the same results. Yeah, and I had done this. Well, that that's not recent, but that was in. Um, it might have been, it was probably even a, a previous version. This is 1804, and that was probably a previous version of, of Kubuntu, and I had noticed it then as well that it did the same thing for me. Um, Interesting. Interesting. Well, I'm I, sorry I couldn't be more helpful to you, to you James. I, I appreciate you calling in. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where I, I just, I have not seen that. And, uh, and, and right here, I've got three Kubuntu machines in front of me and I'm not really able to, to reproduce that issue at all. And I know that's a terrible answer, right? I know that that's kind of, that's kind of cheating. Um, uh, gentlemen that I'm, uh, actually, we're going to bring him on here in just a second. Steve Ovens from Red Hat. Uh, he says, uh, you, you might try copying the entire file over to the local computer and I'm sure that would work. Um, of course, the problem is it's nice to be able to open those files remotely. Again, join the program, one 855 No, it's 855-450-6624. You can send an email to live at uh, com. We'd appreciate you joining the show, make your voice heard, become a part of the program. DNS, this is a system, a protocol, a way of turning numbers into, or letters into numbers we've had for a very long time. We've used it for a long time, and it's been very helpful. And... Uh, Firefox is leading this movement to try to make DNS more secure. So what Firefox is doing is they are going to start encrypting DNS entries. We have an article here. It says domain name service is one of the oldest parts of the Internet architecture and remains largely untouched by efforts to make the web safer and more private. On the Firefox network, the security teams, we are working to change by encrypting DNS queries and testing that service that keeps DNS providers from collecting and sharing your browsing history. For more than 30 years, DNS has served as a key mechanism for accessing sites and services on the internet. Browsers, including Firefox, use DNS to access a distributed database that turns URLs into TCP IP addresses. Firefox cannot do much without the DNS service. DNS hails from the days of a kinder, more gentle internet, where it was normal to make this kind of query with unencrypted protocols and to send them to nearby servers who claim to be able to answer it. This approach is no longer fit for the modern internet because there is no encryption. Other devices along the way might collect or even block or change this data too. DNS lookups are sent to servers that can spy on your website browsing history without either entering the information or publishing a policy about where they do that information. While sophisticated users can turn to cloud-based open resolvers that offer better privacy controls, than what is available by default. Most internet service providers uh, rely on these same unencrypted protocols, so ISPs can often intercept data in any way. One of the first efforts to upgrade the privacy of DNS is to implement DNS over HTTPS. Now, this is being called the DOH protocol. This encrypts the, D this encrypts the DNS request and its responses. DN DOH support has been added to Firefox 62 to improve the way that Firefox interacts with DNS. DOH uses unencrypted, or excuse me, uses encrypted networking rather to obtain DNS information from a server that is configured from within Firefox. This means that the DNS requests are sent to the DOH cloud and are encrypted uh, while the old style DNS requests are not protected. DOH standardization is currently a work in progress and we hope to have many DNS servers communicating with it very soon. 
Now, uh, they also talk about how they are partnering with Cloudflare and how some of these experience, uh, how, the, how some of these experiments have worked out very, very well. Now, I was a little bit skeptical of Cloudflare originally when they came out and said they were going to start getting into the DNS game and that they were going to try to be more responsive than Google and all of these things. It was a concern for me. Uh, I'll be honest with you, it really was. But as time has gone on, I have come to begin to trust Cloudflare and I really trust the Mozilla organization. I really like the organization. I like Firefox, the product, very much like Thunderbird. And I think these guys really understand open source. I think they really understand what it means to be a good uh, community member. And so if Firefox is willing to put their weight behind Cloudflare and Cloudflare's DNS system, I'm willing to do that as well. Now, I don't know. I mean, we set DNS up all the time. And we set up uh, all sorts of different uh, you know, services and servers for different people. And so it's not that I'm unfamiliar with DNS. In fact, I was just working on troubleshooting some DNS stuff today. However, I am not the expert that some of the Ask Noah Show listeners are. And, and we, of course, we have a lot of listeners from Red Hat, the organization. One of them is Steve Oven. So he's going to join us here in just a couple of minutes. And we're going to chat a, a little bit about this. If you want to add your voice to the conversation, one 855 450 No, it's 855-450-6624. You can email us live at com. I had a Run to the phones here real quick. Take a couple calls. Kevin calls from Grand Forks. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, good to talk to with you again. Same. I had a question about um, a an RSync style backup solution for an Android phone. The deal is, my wife and I have a, a a toddler child, and as you can imagine, we take a lot of pictures of him with our our mobile phones. And so, what I want to do is, I want to auto upload all of our pictures onto a central server somewhere. Um, but I wanted to, so that, you know, when we upload the photos, my wife and I can both see the photos so we have access to them. But also, you know, when we're, when we're taking the pictures of the kid, we use the, the burst mode. Sure. So in a series of, you know, 25 photos, we may only keep 20 of them or keep five of them out of 25. So when we go to delete a picture, I also wanted to delete on the server so that we're not... Uh, you know, compiling all these pictures that we don't need. Okay. Um, well, I'll give you. A, well, I'll, I'll walk through this a little bit. So, uh, first of all, there's a, there's a couple of ways to get that job done. It, it, if it, although it's not using rsync per se. So the way to get that job done would be to use a like a C file instance. And so the advantage of C file is you can install the C file client on Android. You can run C file on your own hosted server somewhere and C file will, you point it to the picture directory and it will just simply sync those two directories. And so you can add pictures, you know, like let's say you had your phone, your wife, phone, your wife's phone and your laptop, all three of those devices could, it could inject or could put pictures into that system. And then those pictures would sync around to the other systems and uh, if you ever deleted one from one system, it would delete them from all the systems. So that's one way to accomplish that thing. The second way to accomplish that thing would be a program called AND FTP. Now, AND FTP doesn't meet all of your requirements because it's going it will connect over SSH. And so you'd be able to use SCP, not necessarily rsync, but SCP to move files to a server. Of course, the problem with that is you're not truly syncing the directories. You're just moving from one directory to another. So you're thinking about, well, if I delete one picture, I want it to, you know, delete across all of the systems. Obviously, it wouldn't do that. The only software that I'm aware of on Android, and again, I'm, I'm more of a Linux guy than an Android guy. I, I use Android. I like Android uh, better than iOS, but it's, you know, it's 
I don't know everything there is to know about it. The only application that I'm aware of is a program called SSH Helper or SSH Helper, really. I think there's just one H. Uh, and and, and it, the, the, the issue that I have with it is it requires a rooted Android device. And not that I'm against rooting Android devices. I think you should have administrative control over any device that you own. However, it does pose a significant problem, and it is getting more and more difficult to, to root some of these devices. So for those reasons, I, I'm not sure. Does that Will that help you at all, or is that not really what you're looking for? I had uh, I had looked at sync thing and, and C file. Um, I did set up a, a next cloud instance, and I used the uh, auto upload functionality of that. Okay. And I liked that because we could go to our next cloud app on the phone, and we could see a thumbnail of the photo that we were looking at. Sure. But I can't I can't uh, delete a photo on next cloud if I delete it on the phone. It right. Doesn't have that sort of two-way sync so and c-file does um, c-file does have that two-way sync so right. i might i might give another give a look, another look to c-file if you haven't checked that out kevin and, and see if that works if, if, if it doesn't work out for you give me a call back and actually uh, kevin i'm gonna put you back on hold i'll have sarah pick up and uh we'll take down your particulars and uh we'll go ahead and give you a, a, a free uh uh we'll go ahead and give you a free 30-day uh, trial on a c-file instance that way you can just install it on your phone give it a shot and see what you think we'd be happy to do that for you and we appreciate your call uh Fish calls from uh, Mississippi. Hey, f- is it Fish? Is that right? Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Uh, thanks for uh, accepting my call. How yeah. are you? Hey, pretty good, man. Thanks for joining us. How can we help? So, well, uh, I'm a, a newish user to uh, KDE. Uh, I'm using uh, Kubuntu 18.04, and there's there's this one particular annoyance um, with the... Uh, with, with my headphones that I, I can't figure out exactly how to solve. Um, whenever I plug in my USB headset, uh, I have to go into each application individually uh, and uh, either change my, my default audio device. Yes. Or, uh, and and it, it's, it's really annoying with, with, like, Skype because Skype has, like, a notifications channel and right. a basic output channel and then... And so I just I don't know of any easy way to uh, get around that. I, I just want to plug in my headset and then just go. Yeah. So I have I, I actually have struggled with this as well, and uh, uh, my situation may be slightly different. Essentially, the with the uh, w- with the USB C dock, it obviously it shows up as a sec a separate audio interface. And so if I plug my computer into the dock, I have to go in there and. And, and click on it. I, I'll be honest with you, uh, Fish. I have, <laughs> I don't have a good answer for you. The, the 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 best thing that I've been able to do is close all of the applications that you're using, then click on the little volume application on the right hand side on the hamburger menu of the device that you want to use. Click on that and then choose default. And any application, in my experience anyway, any application that you open after that will use that default audio interface unless. You go and click on the settings cog, go into the audio volume, click on the applications tab, and then choose a separate audio interface for that particular application. So that's kind of how I've been. That's kind of what I've been doing. Is if I if I if I go into a dock, the first thing I'll do is I'll just set the the default audio interface, and it seems to remember from time to time. Like if I disconnect from the dock, if I go back, the thing that the KDE doesn't pick up very well, and and uh, Ubuntu proper with Unity did pick this up. If I plug it from one USB C dock to another. It allows it allows you to swap or whatever. So that that's kind of the I, I know it's not a great answer, but 
but that's that's what I'm doing to solve that exact problem. And I do also share your frustration for what it's worth. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm I'm glad to know that I'm not the only person that's having this this issue. No, not at all. And I thank you very much for the call. Again, you too can ask your question or join the conversation. One eight fifty five four fifty no. It's eight five five four five zero six six two four. I want to go and talk to uh, a friend of mine. This is a guy who I have developed a personal relationship with. He's a great friend, uh, Mr. Steve Ovens from Red Hat. Uh, we've hung out a lot at Southeast Linux Fest and uh, think we're going to be meeting up for uh, for, a, for another, um, I don't know, another project, I guess we'll just call it. Uh, and so and so that's going to be coming up. And Steve, I understand that you have been, uh, have been digging in just a little bit as of today on this announcement that Firefox 62 is going to start using SSL for DNS queries. How's it going, Steve? How's it going, Steve? It's going pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for being here. So I guess I'll just I'll just ask you, what do you think about this? Is this a good idea? Bad idea? Going to cause problems? Going to solve some? Yeah. So like you, I was a little skeptical of Cloudflare. So I started digging into their architecture, which they actually have published online. And I have a little more comfort with the idea. I, I was wrestling with how do I tell people about this? Because the way that I end up telling people kind of frames their opinion of the situation. And I tried to, I want to be as neutral as I can. So I'm going to try and explain both sides of the story. So the reason why I pinged you is because I have friends at Red Hat and we were discussing this. And one of the things that came out was that if Firefox is doing DNS over HTTPS, that means that they're overriding your local DNS settings. For most home users, this is probably not going to be that big of a deal. Uh, you, if you're using a service like Unblock Us or something, you're going to have problems because it's going to ignore those DNS settings. Um, where it becomes an issue from an enterprise perspective is if you are trying to access a local resource um, and you type it into your browser, Firefox sends that DNS query out to Cloudflare. And we have customers at Red Hat that are very concerned about DNS leakage because that's exactly what it is. These uh, local resources should never be leaked or even attempted to be traversed on the internet. And right. so right. leaking that DNS is a bad thing. When I was looking into it, I started to pull apart some of the, uh, the Bugzilla that Mozilla had set up. And I found that right now they're blacklisting certain domains like the dot local will never go out and search Cloudflare and stuff, stuff like that. And so that gave me a little bit of hope because they're doing this via a flat file as far as I could figure out, which means that if you are the paranoid type, you can probably just recompile Firefox with with your blacklisted domains that you don't want to go out. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of positive. Um, I'm not sure. Do you want to know a little bit about how Cloudflare is in going to be handling these requests? I don't. No, I don't. I, I essentially, when I read that first article, I guess I kind of stopped at, um, hey, you know what? We're Firefox, we're Mozilla, and we trust these guys. These are the guys we chose to, to go with. And, uh, and so that's the direction we're going to go. And I, I guess I kind of trust their, their judgment on that. So I can kind of fill you in if you're interested. I won't go too deep, but okay. if you're interested, I can give you like a high level. Please. So we're all aware of how DNS generally works, right? You type in google.com and it goes and it searches for the corresponding IP. On a macro level, 
you that's kind of how it works, right? You type in an address, you get an IP back, and then a connection is made. But what happens in DNS is it's actually split off into each different type of server. So .com is the TLD, which is the top level domain. So what happens is when you make that call to google.com, the first thing it does is try to figure out who has the authoritative records for anything in the .com domain. And then it goes to talk to that guy and says, okay, where does Google live? And then it forwards that top level domain server, then does a lookup and says, okay, I think I know a person, go talk to this person. Right, so there's a bunch of hopping that happens. You can think of it every time that you have a period in a URL, so like um, live.asknoah.com. So there's sure. three parts. You've yep. got the TLD, which is the .com. Then you've got the domain, which is you know Noah Show. And then you've got the subdomain. And each time that you have a period in there, there's a different server that is being requested in order to figure out where things live. How this relates to Cloudflare is that they're actually taking this and bisecting it and trying to figure out they're making multiple calls on your behalf. So they look at your DNS request and specifically only talk to the TLD for .com. And they get that little piece of information back. And right. then they go to a different server and get a different piece of information. Sure. And then they assemble it all and, and send it back to, you, to your browser. So they're taking some very, what we would consider extraordinary steps um, to kind of protect your privacy in that regard. And that made me feel a little bit better. They're also doing things like when you make a DNS request, part of the request is, you know, this is my browser's address because you need the information to come back to you. Cloudflare is doing that on your behalf, kind of like a proxy. So they're putting forward their own DNS um, and their own IP when they're making these requests so that the domain servers that are responding see Cloudflare is asking for this, not Noah is asking for this page. Ah. And that also kind of, that is an extra safeguard because there's a certain amount of stuff that Google, for example, kind of hoovers up. They're very interested to know what DNS calls you're making and who's making them to kind of establish a pattern. Right. Which, by the way, Chrome does by default. Your, your DNS queries by default in Chrome are being stored and logged by Google. Interesting. There are settings to go turn that off. But, so Cloudflare has actually put in a bunch of protections. And then to top it all off, Mozilla does allow you to choose whichever provider that you choose to handle the DNS over HTTPS. That's that's fascinating. And Steve, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the program and explain some of this and kind of dig into it. Um, you know, I, I've I've always said I think that um, I think that one of the, the the biggest criticisms I have for Red Hat is that they don't do a good enough job about talking about the amazing things that they are doing. And I think to a certain degree that applies to Mozilla too. I think Mozilla behind the scenes does some really fantastic things for Linux, for the open source community, um, for the internet at large. And I don't think they get enough credit for it. And I don't think they do a good enough job about talking about it. I, up, up until I was talking to you, this wasn't even on my radar. Uh, this hasn't come up. It's not being talked about widely online. There, I went to a couple of the Linux discussion groups I'm in. Hey, anybody heard about this? Anybody talking about it? Um, most of the people weren't even aware of it. Those that were aware of it, it did not have deep details. I had to dig and dig and dig just to find an article that I thought uh, kind of went over at a very high level some of the these t 
technical details. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come on and and talk about some of this stuff. Uh, anything else you want to add? Um, not particularly on this issue, although I did want to clarify you had the caller about the KDE. What I was trying to explain was that dolphin, I've seen dolphin misbehave at some client's house um, sites where it's actually trying in the background to transfer the entire thing under the hood into a temporary directory. That's what I was trying to explain. So sometimes sure. on the larger files, you click on it. Instead of trying to stream it, Dolphin is misbehaving and trying to do a, like a, an SCP or something to your local directory. Um, and we've seen that manifest as the end user thinks that it's not doing anything. Sure. That makes perfect sense. Uh, well, thanks again, Steve. I really appreciate having you. I know that you and I have a couple of things in the, uh, in the pipe, as it were, and so I look forward to having you back on the program real soon. Thanks, Noah. Appreciate the show. Yeah, I really appreciate having you. 1-855-450-NOAH. Uh, it's 855-450-6624. The email, live at com. Make your voice heard. Become a part of the program. So this week... Dropbox announced that they are ending support for Dropbox syncing to drives with, and I quote, certain uncommon file systems, end quote. The supported file systems going forward will be NTFS for Windows, HFS Plus, or APFS for Mac, and X4 for Linux. And so they said that they have updated their desktop requirements accordingly. Now, I want to start out, before I go any further, I just want to say, I don't have any problem with X4. I love X4. X4 is a great file system. I have plenty of machines running on EXT4. For the longest time, I had my laptop running on EXT4. This laptop, actually, this laptop, let me, let's look. This laptop very well might be X4. It just might be encrypted X4. Uh, yes, it is. What? Yes, it is. It is X4. So I'm running X4 on my laptop. I love EXT4. Now, this is the uh, encrypted uh, version of X4, but uh, love X4. That said, it is an old file system, and there are better file systems out there. And one of the great things about the open source community, about the open source world, is that is that we we have people that all they do is focus on file systems, and they do a really great job. And uh, I want to dig into that a little bit more. I do. I see some calls stacking up here, so we're gonna we're gonna continue that discussion as we go on. Again, one eight fifty five four fifty no eight five five four five zero six six two four. Matthew, Austria, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, Noah. Can you hear me? I can. How are you, sir? Can you hear me, Noah? Yes, sir. Very good. Thank you. Uh, long time listener, uh, first time caller. Um, I'm, I actually have a slight problem. I have a uh, a laptop running Linux on it, but beware, it's not uh, KDE or something. It's actually Solus, and I wanted to clone my hard drive to actually put a new hard drive into a new laptop. I already bought this, I think, SanDisk SDD clone kit. Mm. Unfortunately, the instructions there are only for Windows. Is <laughs> there a solution to actually clone my Solus hard drive and put it into, or for that matter, clone my hard drive if it's not possible in Solus to, for example, put it on min, put it on a mint spin or something, and then put it in my new laptop with all the exact data and apps that I have now. Sure. Um, so I, I will tell you, I mean, so and maybe I'm missing something here, but uh, in, in, so if I start going down a solution, you're like, yeah, that won't work because of this. Let me know. But 
based on what you've told me so far, the way to do what you're trying to do is just to clone the partition using something like Clonezilla. And Clonezilla has the ability to clone. You can do the entire drive soup to nuts or you can do specific parts of the drive. So you can choose just to clone the Linux partition, just the Windows partition. I would do obviously the Linux partition and the bootloader if that Windows partition is still going to exist on there. No, no, it's 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 a plain laptop with just Linux on it. So I'm actually just want to clone the uh, Linux hard drive, but unfortunately okay. the instructions for this SDD kit are only for Windows. Mm. For the, I'm sorry, I mean, you've, I, I, I apologize. You probably, you probably said this, and I, and I wasn't paying enough attention. The SDB kit, what is that? Uh, it's it's a SanDisk SDD clone kit. That's oh, what I see. it's called, I think. I see. I see. I see. I see. I see. So you bought. So you okay? So you purchased a new SSD. It came with a kit for cloning your existing drive. You said that's a really yeah. great idea. I want to do that, but it only runs on Windows. Yes. Okay, I got you now. Okay, great. Right. Awesome. Awesome. So this is a very easy problem to solve. The uh, the answer to your question, st same answer really, is a program we have. The answer, Matthew, is that we in the open source Linux community already have our own SDD cloning kit, and it is called Clonezilla, and it's available free of charge. And uh, I'm going to have a link for you in the show notes, but it's clonezilla.org. And essentially what Clonezilla does is it will take an image of your hard drive and allow you to place that image on another machine or a new SSD. And so I, at our workstations at AltaSpeed, for example, we have a standard deployment image that we've made with Clonezilla. And what we do is when we buy a new SSD, we plug the SSD in and we just clone the image onto there. And we just, we store that image on a file server and copy it right over. And it works every time uh, flawlessly. And it will keep all of your data there. It will keep all of your settings. It will keep your partition layout and sizes and all of that. Of course, you can edit those afterwards if you are upgrading a drive to a larger drive or something like that. But all of your encryption keys will be there. Everything will be exactly how you left it. It's kind of it's kind of like making your own system restore disk back in the you know system restore disk days. Except this has all of your software and it works on Linux. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much. Yes, Thank sir. You. And great show, by the way. Oh, pl pl a pleasure to pleasure to meet you. And thanks for calling in again. Uh, Podcast.asknoahshow.com slash eighty one. We'll have a direct link for. Uh, the Clonezilla download page in there for you so you, you don't have to work for it, but uh, it's clonezilla.org is what it is. Steve is calling from North Carolina. Hey, Steve, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Well, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Thanks for joining I'm, uh, us. I'm, I'm probably one of your perfect candidates for switching to Linux, but uh, my computer uh, is about at the end of life, and I'm looking to try... Um, Linux on it and get used to the programs, and we'll probably put it on a uh, external drive. But the computer I've got is a 13-inch MacBook Pro from 2009. Okay, is that too old? To no, no, not at all, sir. In fact, try? no, not at all. In fact, sir, what you'll find is that the MacBooks from 2009 actually work much, 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 much better than the computers. Uh, that you would buy today. If you were to go out and buy a brand new MacBook Pro today, you would it would be almost impossible, if not impossible, to get Linux running on that machine as it sits currently. Uh, when you start getting a little older than 2012, 2011, certainly back in the 2010, 2009 days. So that's like, uh, uh, I'm going to say Core 2 Duo-ish, like four gigs. 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That thing will run Linux right out of the box. You plug a you plug a flash drive in. The only thing you're going to have to do to it is there is it, it uses a Broadcom wireless chipset, and so you'll have to plug the Ethernet cable in uh, the first time you boot it up. And inside of the additional drivers tab in in Ubuntu. Um, there is a little checkbox that says, allow me to use third-party additions, and you click on that, and it will uh, it will enable the Broadcom chipset, and then your wireless will work. And uh, that's the only thing you have to do. Everything else will work right out of the box for you. Oh, great, great. But that'll give me a little bit of time to get used to all the Linux. Yeah, absolutely. Programs. So... Wonderful. Yes, sir. That answered my question. Thanks so much. Perfect. Thanks for calling it. And if you have any trouble, Stevie, give me a call back, and uh, we'll be happy to help you. And especially if you're in North Carolina, it seems like every time I'm down there, I pick up more and more friends down there. They're all Linux guys. And so if necessary, I can get your hands-on help if you need it. So, And uh, we'd be happy to do that. 1-855-450-855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoshow.com. Uh, yeah, speaking of North Carolina, I guess we'll just do this now. Um, uh, we aired a what I think is one of the best episodes we've ever aired on the Ask Noah show. And it is a gut-wrenching, long, windy, um, uncomfortable episode to listen to. Jeremy Sands from Southeast Linux Fest joined us and told us the fantastic, if not horrific, story of the sacrifices that he has made on a personal level to get desktop Linux promoted at a conference that puts desktop Linux first. It puts Linux users first. And I'll tell you a little story. We didn't go back into this into the, in, the, in the episode, but I'll just tell you a personal story. The very first communication I ever had with Jeremy Sands was he sent an email out to uh, people that were speaking at Southeast Linux Fest. And the email said something to the effect of... and. Uh, if you are bringing freedom-hating hardware, you are completely on your own as we that's not the kind of stuff that we're here to support. It's certainly not the kind of stuff that we're here to focus on. And so uh, if everything looks terrible or doesn't work or you, we don't have the right adapter, um, basically screw off. Uh, if you want our help and if you want your presentation to go smoothly, then purchase a ThinkPad and install Linux on it and we will support you in every way possible. Now, the past couple of years, we have provided ThinkPads with uh, presentations. I think this year we're actually going to mandate that you present on a ThinkPad with Linux. Uh, that we, and we'll, we'll provide it for you. And uh, what that's going to do, or what that has done in the past, what it will do in the future, is if you have a, um, if you have a presentation that you designed on PowerPoint or, or Prezi or whatever, it's probably going to look pretty terrible when you try to import it. So it will reward those, the people that do it on Linux at a Linux conference are going to have a better time. Now, it probably, when I say mandate, I don't mean like, you know, you banned from bringing your Mac through the front door or anything like that. I just mean officially supported. If you're completely on your own, if you decide you want to try and use your Mac. And by the way, our projectors don't support, um, Apple has a stupid HD protection thing where because we split the signal that goes into the stream and goes out uh, over the projector. So a lot of people with Macs, their HD copy protection thing was kicking in. They just didn't have slides. So just keep that in mind that if you're going to present on a Mac, your slideshow will probably be a disaster. Everyone's going to laugh at you and you're going to look like an idiot. Um, that was the first experience I had with Jeremy. And since then, 
I have been nothing but impressed with his dedication to Linux and his devotion to the open source community and his welcoming welcomingness of basically everything I've ever tried to do. Supportive of Last, supportive of Asnoa, supportive of Altaspeed, supportive of some of the new ventures that that, I, that I'm working on. And he's always been in my corner, and I've always really appreciated him uh, for for his character, his integrity, and his passion for Linux. And a couple of months ago, it, it, he brought to my attention a long stirring problem that had been occurring in the Linux community. And so we brought him on the program and we aired the entire thing, uh, soup to nuts, start to start to be end. And it was a fantastic episode. So I encourage you to check that out. Now, if it's if you're not into politics and you don't care about that kind of stuff, um, then maybe the episode isn't for you. So I thought I would just bring a couple of highlights onto this episode. So in case you wanted to hear like the best parts of it, or what I think anyway, are the best parts of it without having to actually sit through like two hours of content, uh, you can do that. So the first thing is I want to play a clip where Jeremy talks about his personal commitment to making self happen. I'll put it to you this way. The cost of the bar tab alone exceeded gross receipts more or less bankruptcy for the event. I, at the time, happened to be saving up to buy a house, so the down payment on my house became what bailed self out. So he took literally the money that he was going to spend on his own house down payment and put it towards the conference to make sure the conference would happen. That's the kind of guy that Jeremy is. And uh, then later on, we started ta- we started digging into some of the technical challenges that self had struggled through. And one of the issues that they had were they were in a hotel, and the hotel didn't have fast internet, and so they were trying to work out a way that they could get high-speed internet. And Jeremy tells us uh, this, this funny story about how he had signed up for Sprint WiMAX uh, right before they decided to cancel Sprint WiMAX. And they didn't tell him that at the time that he signed up. So he's in this four-year agreement and doesn't actually have WiMAX service. Finds himself at a hotel where they the hotel doesn't have internet, but he has this WiMAX service that nobody else is on. So, all right, Sprint, you say that plan's unlimited? Let's find out. I moved my Photon 4G (laughs) to the window of our command center so that it could get the best possible line of sight. And then our our Slackware network team tapped into that tether, and that became the conference network. So you you called your network team. You're like, hey, guys, I've got it on the cell phone. Now figure out a way to get this into all of the wiring infrastructure that we have throughout the conference. Yeah, so they already had everything wired up. They just needed the pipe to the world. So Right. WiMAX became the pipe to the world. And uh, then later on, he tells us amusing story about all of the funny things that have happened in self. A wedding party showed up, got super drunk, tried to outdrink those that were attending self and found out that Linux geeks can typically outdrink any wedding party. And so, uh, you know, debauchery ensued. And he tells that entire story and, you know, all of the bad things that happened. But one of the funny things is uh, a lot of people have this idea that these tech conferences, these geek conferences are filled with, uh, you know, guys who have been sitting on their butts so long that they're constipated and uh, they have no friends, they have no girlfriend, they have no social life. And that is somewhat true in some ways for some people. But it turns out there are some very attractive, very well-to-do girls that are attracted to guys like that. I would have called you a liar to your face until I saw it myself. I, I have seen female executives from Bank of America show up to the Southeast Linux Fest explicitly to headhunt geek men. So he was. So if you if you miss that, there are people from Bank of America uh, that literally uh, that 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 literally come to Southeast Linux Fest for the purpose of uh, of, of trying to 
get involved with these geek guys. And I, I told him when he said that, I said, you know what, this is going to be one of those things where you are going to uh, like double or triple uh, the conference attendees. And uh, and finally, and I, I, I just, this was the last I'm going to cover this because this is all in the episode. And so if you heard the episode, this is a repeat and I apologize to you. Um, this is why I think this is the best Linux conference in the entire United States and why it's the Linux conference that I'm throwing my personal weight behind and literally started working last month and will continue to work till June to make it the most successful conference in the United States because I believe in it so strongly. We get people hired at self. We get people hired at self and we get them hired to use the software and the tools they love anyway. Uh, so remember the woman who had the business card stuffed down her shirt? Well, that year she was hired by a different sponsor. And despite the fact that as part of that hiring, she had to move a thousand miles further away from self, she has been back every single year. Um, and that is by, by far not the only employment success story. An actual sponsor who unfortunately I cannot name specifically due to their own corporate policy, told me that at the Southeast Linux Fest, they had more qualified applicants and more hired applicants and more retained hired applicants than they had at the Southern California Linux Expo. That was mind-boggling to me. Self is roughly 500 to 750 people. Scale will clear that in the first two hours of registration opening. Scale is somewhere between three and 5,000, depending on the year. The fact that we, we out-competed that talent pool is absolutely mind-boggling to me. I would have bet a large amount of money that that would simply not be possible. And so that's, you know, really, if I, we've talked about nothing else, that's really what I want to leave you with, is that if you are looking to build a successful career in the IT infrastructure, and this applies to you if you have been an IT guy for years and years and years, or if you're just starting out, uh, self is a conference you want to attend. Let's go to Jonathan in Texas. Hey, Jonathan, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Good afternoon, sir. Uh, great show. Great show. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. How can we help? Yeah, um, I've been using Linux Mint uh, for about a year now. And uh, I really love the operating system. Very, very fast, stable. And um, I have a desktop, and I'm running Windows 7 Pro on it. And the only reason why I'm using that is I play Battlefield games online, and I just really want to ditch Windows and, you know, just use Linux all the way. I just, having a problem installing that game of the, example, Linux Mint or something like that. Sure. You're trying to do it with wine or something? With wine, it's not very stable. It's right. not really working too well. And there's a lot of things you have to do to the video card. Uh <laughs> Yep, absolutely. Let me let me give you let me now this will be a little bit more free to set up, okay? But let me uh, let me see if I can I can walk you through this. Um, there, my, my friend Wendell Wilson from Level One Techs actually has a video on exactly how to do this. And basically, what he does is he virtualizes an entire Windows environment on top of a Linux environment. Uh, using PCI pass through. Now, Jonathan, the advantage to PCI pass through over traditional 
uh, virtualization or over you know wine for example where it's just emulating that that windows application layer is you're actually talking directly to the hardware so for example in your battlefield one game if you were to pass the the graphics card through windows is talking directly to that graphics card as if windows was installed on the system now you might be asking me noah why would you install why would you go through all that trouble to virtualize windows on top of linux why wouldn't we just dual boot windows well the reason is because you'll maintain the stability and security uh, limit or uh, advantages of linux because linux is actually what's talking to the metal underneath then on top of that then you'll actually gain the compatibility to be able to run literally any game that runs on windows and he'll show window my, my friend window wilson can explain this a lot better than i can and i'll have a link for you in the show notes we'll go through that and and he'll show you exactly how to set that up so that you can either dual boot into windows or you can just run it right on top of your linux system how's that sound that's pretty good Outstanding. I'll have that link for you in the show notes. Again, one 450 no It's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Make your voice heard. Become a part of the program. Coming up next, uh, tomorrow, actually, a good friend of mine, actually with me in, in the studio now, is Brad Schmidt, and he is launching a political podcast that's going to be the replacement to Unfilter. Hey, Brad. Hey, Noah. How you doing? Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Yes, yeah, kind of a kind of a cool like, little setup you got here. I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time to be here. So you and I are, are launching a, a podcast as Unfilter is winding down. Right. You have a passion for politics. Yes. You care about news issues. You have an ability to present these things, and you're starting a new show. Tell me about it. Well, it's uh, it's essentially just going to be me, you know, t- telling people what they're supposed to believe about <laughs> <laughs> about what's happening uh, in the world. You know, if you're if you're reading the latest news about you know what's going on with the Trump administration, or if you're reading the latest news about uh, you know what's happening in Congress or or some you know, governorship in, in whatever state that that's making national news. Um, I'm going to tell you what you're supposed to believe about it. Um, I'll also tell you why you're wrong about the various topics and then you'll argue with me and, 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 uh, we'll have a vigorous and passionate debate and it'll be a lot of fun. I mean, the, the, the really is, I've certainly got my opinions. Um, I've got a huge ego and, and I like to tell people what they're supposed to believe about stuff, but more than anything, uh, it's, I want it to be a discussion. So it's going to, there's going to be a lot of that. We're going to do everything we can to, give people an opportunity to to engage in the show and of course some like of that's that. some of that's you know in process because we're we're launching yeah. this it was kind of a, a quick deal to get it up and running so the yeah. first few episodes are not going to be live but after that it's we don't like say I, I hope my plan is no more than four episodes will be live and taking phone calls and all of that kind of stuff. I like so, that. I like that yeah. a lot. That's that's very cool. So the show is going to be called The Schmidt Show. Yep. People can get it at podcast.theschmidtshow.com. Yep. You're going to be doing it the first couple of nights. there. You're going to release them on Wednesday night, so the same time as Unfilter. After that, you transition into, is it Monday morning? Yeah, the plan right now is to do it Monday morning. I'm thinking, you know, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock Monday morning, something like that, simply because I do also a terrestrial radio show, a, you know, a traditional AM radio talk show okay um and so i'm live three to six um central time sure so of course i can't release it at 5 30 yep. and do another live show at the same time yeah you know so it'll be have to be a different time slot so, so. it's, it's going to be live so if people are they're commuting to work or they're getting to work and they want to figure out the news for it for the day this is something that they can listen to it on their phone they can listen to yep. it on their computer and it's gonna it's gonna touch on topics all the way around the board yep. and across and span the united states right 
And now my passion is is politics without right. a question. Yeah. But I'm I, there's a lot about me that's you know I'm a I'm a former pastor, so we'll get into some religion stuff. I'm sure. Right. Um, I'm also a huge Formula One fan, so I might end up talking about the latest Formula One race. Cool. But I also just like to talk about people's lives. You know, I, I've I, I'm, as a former pastor, I've actually done you know marriage counseling and stuff, and right, and right. I've had that happen on my radio show. I've pe- had people call in and say, "Hey, I've been, I've been struggling with addiction for a long time, and I don't know what to do. How can you help me?" And I'm a former addict. I've, that I'm, is I've been awesome. I've been clean for twenty two ish years, something like that. I can't remember the actual, but it's been over two decades. So I've got a lot of life experience. I, I do. I'm also a, a truck driver and some of that kind of stuff. So I do all kinds of different things and I've got a lot of um, experience in a lot of different areas. So I might be able to help people in that way. But the the main push is going to be politics just because that's my, that's my, that's your passion. Yeah. That's I my love that. And you know, the thing that I really appreciate about you and every time if I, you know, you rather we're out shooting guns or we're out having something to eat or just hanging out. One of the things that I always appreciate about you is you are, you come off a little bit differently when you're on the air because it's funny, you right. know, it's yeah, funny yeah, to be yeah. confident and stuff like that. And of course you have to like the sound of your own voice to do what you right. do. Yes. But at the same time, you are one of the most humble, honest people that I've ever met. And no, seriously now, when, when we sit down and we start talking about something, there'll be times where I'm having a conversation. I'm like, I know something about this. I'm going to teach Brett and I'll start talking to you and you, you'll very quietly, patiently, humbly listen to what I'm saying. And then I right. get done and you start talking about it. And I realize you have a, a whole swath of knowledge <laughs> that I, I had no idea that yeah. you you knew and, and and so to be able to bring that on the air and like you say you have such a wide career uh th- you know you've done 40 yeah. different jobs there's yeah. so people can relate to you and you're just you're the average guy that can break down politics for the average guy and i think yep. that's what i find so compelling about you and why i'm why i'm so thankful to be a part of your show and to be able to to come on and kind of do this project with you yeah everything from i my best friend's dad growing up had a cattle ranch so i grew up working on the farm and, and doing that kind of stuff to I've got a I've got a bachelor's degree in biblical studies with a minor in biblical languages I can actually read and translate original you know ancient Greek and Hebrew and wow. you know, I can't speak it just because it's I mean they're ancient languages and yeah. and modern Greek and modern Hebrew is so much different than you know just like the English that we spoke 500 years ago is not the same right. English we speak today so uh, there's those sort but I, I mean I've I literally have done just about everything that you you can imagine construction work and and uh, you know I've done home remodels and and all kinds of stuff so yeah it's it's a lot of fun and there's a lot of times I've actually forgotten about oh yeah, yeah right. I used to do that <laughs> you know somebody will call in and say hey I've got this question I'm like oh well actually you know I used to work at this job and yeah. I'd forgotten not that I'd forgotten about the job but it just it it, it was never relevant before sure. so yeah yeah, yeah. So oh, that's fantastic it. and one of the things that you and I have done outside of the show is uh, you know you're playing with Linux yep. and computers and, and kind of get involved with that and now we drug your son into all of that yeah and so we're corrupting him yep and uh, <laughs> and so h- how has that been you know coming here in you know like the studio you know you sat down and and the first and you're kind of a Mac guy, right? But you sit down in here, and everything is running Linux, right? Have you found that to be usable and, and straightforward? Or? Yeah, for the most part, it's you know. So I, I, I also one of the other things that I've done. I worked as a tech support guy. I worked for Gateway Computers for a while, and I worked for Hewlett Packard for a while back in the day. And right. and I've supported everything from you know Windows ninety eight, Windows ninety five. NT machines to um, Windows XP and and right. into actually even supported for a, a medical company kidney dialysis machines that were running on its own kind of one off operating system. Sure, um, but yeah. So for me, the 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 thing with Linux is it's actually not that far off from being being a Mac guy. 
it, Mac is based on Linux, so it's right. it's just the thing that can do more than right. It, it the the thing that I found as far as it relates to Linux is that is the uh, the the customizability. Right. You know, there, yeah. there's so much more of that with a Mac. You're kind of stuck with Mac, and that's and and for me, I'm not a what I would call a power user. You right. know, so I don't I don't need all of the cool stuff. Um, but the what I'm finding is as I as I do the cool stuff, I'm yeah. like, I didn't know I needed right. that before. <laughs> you know, so that's one of the things yeah. that I that when it re, as it relates to Linux is it's just a it's a and I years ago, I don't know, it was actually when I was pastoring, I actually had a, a Windows machine that I had dual booting to Windows Linux or Windows and Linux. And I think it was Ubuntu. Okay. I think I sure. it's been 10 years ago now. Sure, sure. Um and so I played with it back then the problem I had with it is it the incompatibility because everything in our building and everything at my home was right. all Windows at the time. Yeah, I hadn't absolutely. Be, I hadn't become a, a a Mac guy yet. And and whatever and I didn't know anything about Linux. Right. So I'm trying to compile my own drivers and figure out how to make all this stuff work. Brad, don't you worry. That's what we're here for. <laughs> I, I am here to help. So we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna we're there there will be some Linux <laughs> there'll be some Linux switching that will be happening yeah. here. I was, just, I was looking at, at Brad's computer and we're sitting here, he's like, he already opened the door. He's like, Yeah, maybe this thing needs to be upgraded. I'm like, Oh, oh, oh buddy, let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you how we can upgrade that son of a gun. I'm I'm probably gonna end up having to figure out how to dual boot a Mac to a Mac and exactly. Well, and I Linux. can tell you that particular one because that's like well, it must be like a 2012 2013 yeah something like that yeah okay. let me that will run linux very very well, well so it, we'll have yeah. no problem so this one we'll is just turn off the about, mics and we'll go install this it for mac you. it'll be not a problem it is a yeah. mid 2010 oh yeah perfect so, yeah. yeah we can we'll we'll get that stop running memory, linux by the friday i think no problem 2.6 gigahertz intel core 2 duo that does that does that reveal how yeah pathetic i am no it reveals how long you're able to milk technology and if you can if you man if you if you think that your that computer is usable as a core 2 duo under mac os i can't wait for you to see what happens <laughs> by friday when we have it running a bunch well brad schmidt uh yes. theschmidtshow.com podcast.theschmidtshow.com to subscribe to the feed make sure to follow him on twitter at the schmidt show on facebook facebook.com slash schmidt show and uh, I guess we'll see you Wednesday night and, and followed by starting Monday mornings. Yeah, eventually we're going to move to, like say, hopefully no more than four episodes. We'll be doing Monday mornings live. Awesome. So. And the first four, they're going to come out in the unfiltered feed. Then we'll have all of those available for you at podcast.theschmidtshow.com. Brad Schmidt, thanks so much for coming on the Ask Noah Show. We'll get you back on the program real soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. So you can check that out tomorrow. Uh, I uh, Actually, now, now don't tell anybody. Hopefully nobody but you, the listener, hears this. But... Uh, Word on the street is that uh, if you subscribed right now, the episode that's going to air tomorrow might be in the feed, but <clears throat> you didn't hear that here. 1-855-450-NOAH-855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Justin calls from Indiana. Hey, Justin, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, Noah. How are you? Excellent, sir. How can we help? <clears throat> well, first, I just want to say I'm psyched to hear about the Schmidt, so that should be... Tons of tons of fun. Did I hear correctly that you're going to be on that as well? Yeah. So essentially, here's what I'm doing. I I have a passion for politics. I like it. I like news. I like talk radio. I am not as good at it as this guy is. And so what we're going to do is him and I are going to team up, and he's going to show me a couple of things on on how some of these things work. And uh, I'm going to be the button pusher kind of behind the scenes and and handling all the technical stuff, which is really where my forte is. Uh, and uh, and then I'm going to let him actually break down the issues. I think he's going to do a fantastic job. Sounds like a load of fun, nonetheless. 
on to the question, though. Um, recently, I've taken interest in setting up uh, outside cameras for my house. And software aside, because that seems to be uh, its own rat's mask, software aside, I'm wondering if you have experience with outdoor camera systems for your home mm-hmm. and what kind of cameras you would recommend using. Uh, sure. Answering simple questions like, are, are night vision cameras actually worth it? Are there some cameras that stand out uh, above others? And more importantly, if I were to get some cameras, say five or six in, in that range, is there a system that you would recommend that I can self-host that doesn't have to call out to the Internet uh, that would allow me to manage these systems both locally and remotely? Okay, so the system you're looking for is Ubiquity, and here's why. They make indoor cameras, they make dome cameras, they make outdoor cameras, they make long-range cameras, they make night vision cameras. You can self-host the system, and uh, the system will, it's just, it's literally just a repository that you add on top of Debian or Ubuntu. Um, And so you could run it in the cloud, you could run it at your house, or you can buy a pre-made box, they have it, it's called the, um, uh, the NVR. And I'll have a link for you for the NVR in the show notes. But um, these cameras, they run about 100 to 150 bucks, depending on exactly what you get. And uh, the system is infinitely expandable, so you can do one or 10,000. It's just a matter of how many you want to fit or scroll through on the screen. Um, where th- The only downside I've ever found to the Unify system is that they, it is a proprietary system. So it only works with Unify cameras, only works with the, uh, the, the uh, NVR um, you know, from, from uh, Unify. Now, there is an open standard for IP cameras. Uh, the Ubiquity doesn't conform to them. I have tried using the open standard uh, DVR versions, and uh, I just don't think they work very well. So this is a commercial-grade system. We've put it in in plenty of businesses. Uh, again, we've put it in as small as one single camera all the way up to, you know, hundreds of cameras. Uh, never done 10,000. But it, it should just be a network limitation. So, and they, each camera will is, has the ability to stream over RTMP, so you can take those feeds out and put them over the internet or, you know, connect them remotely on your phone. A lot of people do that. Um, I have seen a couple people, they'll put a camera out if they have like a, a really fantastic view out of their lake house or something like that. They'll mount it on their deck so they can kind of take a look out and, and see what's going on. So absolutely, that's that's the that's the system that I would look into if I were you. Something that larger scale, is that going to have uh, a decent user interface, uh, especially something mobile? Yeah, so the Unify system is designed for end users. In fact, that has been a problem in some ways, and I'll, and I'll explain. And I'll explain why. Essentially, what happens is uh, there is no way to monitor the camera twenty-four hours, seven days a week. So this idea behind a security guy, a fat guy sitting eating cheeseburgers inside of a security room, kind of watching the cameras, quote unquote, as a as the uh, as the colloquial football game plays, and and he misses, you know, the the you know you know whatever Tom Cruise breaking in. That kind of thing, these cameras don't do because, again, they're all RTMP streams, so they're they're not exactly real time, and uh, and the system would just kind of hang up if you tried to monitor every camera feed all at the same time. Uh, so they're designed to either detect motion and notify you when there's motion in an area that there shouldn't be, or to be able to call up and, and look instantaneously at a given room or something like that. But to that end, because they are designed for end users, not for the quote-unquote security specialist um, yeah, it, they have a fantastic mobile app, and it's literally just a web interface. You log into the web interface and click on the camera you want, or click on the series of cameras you want, and uh, or go back and pull footage. All right. Lastly, um, what's your experience with uh, systems like ZoneMinder or Kerberos? Uh, not the Kerberos authentication system, but the yeah. Kerberos sure. uh, camera monitoring software. 
I have played with ZoneMinder. I like ZoneMinder. It works well enough. There is another uh, piece of software called Blue Cherry DVR that I think has a better interface. Although after I said that the last time on the air, there was a guy that called up for me that that does a lot of work around this area with uh, the uh, with uh, ZoneMinder and said, "Come look at mine. Mine is set up really nice." And to his credit, it looks amazing. The problem that I had with it was, you know, there's a lot of work there. Whereas the Blue Cherry one is just set up to work now the thing is you could uh you could the 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 zone minder you'll be able to use open source cameras open protocols whereas the unify one you're not going to be able to do that but again having used zone minder use the unified go with the unify every time hey guys did you know this episode is available as a downloadable podcast if subscribe to the feed or download the latest episode visit show. Uh, let's see here. You can follow us on Twitter at Ask Noah Show. The Ask Noah Show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. A huge thanks to Vox Telesis for providing our phone system. Sarah, our call screener, Ben, our producer. This hour of the show may be over, but there's plenty more content for you 24-7 at AskNoahShow.com. <laughs>